Tonight we talk about a favorite subject of mine, PGS. Wait, or is it called CCS? No, PGD. Wait, wait, I think they changed it again. Now I think it's PGT? Yeah, PGT and, wait, A? Maybe AM? It's something really important. And what we're going to do is talk about it today. I'm Dr. Mark Amos, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. PGS. So what does that mean? It stands for pre-implantation genetic screening. What does that mean? Well... Essentially, it's saying before you even put the embryo back, we test it. And we test it to find out if there is anything wrong with the chromosomes. Now, yes, this has been called other names, and we're going to go into a little bit of the history of why. But I think the first question to ask is, why is it important? And this is where a lot of the controversy has come from. See, when PGS first started a long time ago, the thought was that all IVF cycles not working were most likely due to abnormal embryos. And so the thought was, okay, if we can biopsy those embryos, then we're going to be able to know which ones are normal, which ones are abnormal, and we'll end up with higher pregnancy rates. Now, this was a great idea. And when we first started it, the technology wasn't as good as it is today. So in the beginning, when we did biopsies, we did them very early. We're going to talk about that as well. But when we did these biopsies earlier, such as cycle day three or what we call polar biopsies, in those situations, the information was all in one cell. Therefore, the biopsy came from one cell, and then those cells had to be amplified and were tested with a thing called FISH, which basically was a fluorescent way of seeing the chromosomes. And we would then determine if they had three chromosome 21s, if it was missing chromosomes. But we looked at the major ones, chromosome 13, 18, 21, because that's where a lot of the abnormal chromosomes come from. But it was interesting. When they actually went and studied this and said, well, does it really make the embryos better, and did the pregnancy rate go up? Something surprising happened. The pregnancy rates went down. How could this be? How could this new frontier lead to lower pregnancy rates? It doesn't make any sense until someone looked at it and said, wait a second, it does make sense. Because one, we were sometimes hurting the embryos on those day three biopsies, which has been proven now in studies that when doing a day three biopsy, you actually could hurt the embryo. But the second thing was the testing wasn't great. It was quite erroneous. At times, we would look at embryos and call them normal, when in reality, the third chromosome never showed up, showing us it had a trisomy. Sometimes it would be missing a chromosome, and in reality, we just couldn't see the other chromosome next to it, because again, we were looking at our eyes, and we were missing the picture. 
TGS was shown to be so poor that the American Society of Reproductive Medicine came out and said, do not do TGS. They were against it, and they had every right to be. Not only did they not show it didn't improve pregnancy rates, but it actually dropped them. Now, you would think, well, why are we still doing PGS? Well, think of the word PGS as a overall topic. And it doesn't mean that the way we did it is the only way to do it. It just means at that time, that was the only way to do it. So for multiple years, people did not do pre-implantation genetic screening, PGS. But then people realized there was new technology coming out. There was ways now to look at the chromosomes a lot better. Some of these new ways were using new technology. One of them was called Array CGH, where we can actually make small little bits of the chromosomes and can, can really figure out how many chromosomes are in each embryo. So there was more data. It had less errors. There was another technology called SNP array. And in SNP array, we're looking at these small little single nucleotide polymorphisms. And again, we're able to look at chromosomes and multiple bits so we can collaborate. So in other words, if you cut a chromosome up into a bunch of pieces and you say, hey, I see some here, I see some there, I see some there, you can then say that chromosome's there. So this is kind of how the technology got better. And so then PGS wanted to come back because now it was better. But the problem was we all knew it had a bad name. So this time they came out with a new word, CCS, Comprehensive Chromosome Screening. Now, in reality, this was exactly the same thing. But the reason they changed the name was people wouldn't think about PGS because they knew that had poor results. But CCS now is looking at the whole chromosome. Now, to understand this a little bit better, you have to understand that when you take a cell, there is only one nucleus in that, and we'll get the chromosomes from that nucleus. Now, to do these tests, you have to make more DNA. And the way you do that is you lyse the cell and then you perform what's called whole genome amplification. So in other words, you're amplifying the DNA so you can look at the whole thing. Now, there's some problems with this. One, it's not perfect. You're not actually amplifying 100% of the DNA. You are going to miss some pieces because it doesn't always amplify well. Some of it's not um, showing up, so some of it is missing. And so it's hard to say that something is not there if it didn't amplify. But in general, enough would amplify that you could at least say, okay, chromosome one seems to be there, chromosome two is there, chromosome three is there, and so forth. As an X, as a Y. So we made a big jump because we went from this fish technology, FISH, to now this technology that really is comprehensive chromosomes. It's not just a few chromosomes, um, doesn't have the error rate that we used to have. But there were still issues with this, but no one was aware of this. And so CCS was the best we had, and people started showing some improved pregnancy rates with it. And now this kind of made sense. We've 
have better technology. We're able to look at the whole chromosome comprehensively. So it makes sense now it's going to be more powerful. We can use it to really help pick the best embryos. And so pregnancy rates really started skyrocketing. People who did CCS, which some of us started going back to PGS, had higher pregnancy rates. But there was a problem, and no one knew about the problem. And that problem was that technology was not finding mosaic embryos. And that technology is called next-gen sequencing. And that is the next way to analyze the embryo DNA. And it opened up a huge door to other embryos that could have been implanted, but weren't in the past because we didn't know that they were mosaic. So does that mean the old technology was bad? Well, no, we, we just didn't know what we didn't know them. Matter of fact, when you hear people all the time talking about how, oh, I read this article where someone put back abnormal embryos and they got a normal baby, that is absolutely true. No one can deny that actually happened. But the thing we're going to talk about in the next episode is, why did they get a normal baby? Is it because all PGS, CCS, PGD, PGTA is all bad? No. Matter of fact, it's not. You're looking at old cases, old technology, and you cannot use that old technology to say what today's is. And that's what we're going to be focusing a lot on is what are we doing today versus what we did in the past. But to understand what we're doing today, you have to have a better understanding of pre-implantation genetic screening. Another important point is when was the biopsy performed? A day three biopsy is known to hurt the embryo versus a day five embryo biopsy has less harm to the embryo. Now, this does not mean you can't hurt an embryo with a day five biopsy. But let's think about this. On day three, there are approximately eight cells plus or minus two. If you remove one cell, you've removed one eighth of the embryo. And there's a lot of issues with day three biopsies that we're going to get into later. But when you take four to five cells from a day five embryo, you're talking about an embryo that has a hundred cells or more. So you're taking a very small fraction of that embryo and you're not even taking the embryo. You're taking the cells that would become the trophectoderm, which will become the placenta. So you're actually taking cells that can easily be replaced. As a matter of fact, after you take the biopsy, even a day later, you can start seeing these cells recovering. So we know that there's a lower injury rate to the embryos on day five versus day three. Now, you still have to know how to do a biopsy. If you're not good at biopsies, you're still going to hurt the embryo. I've seen this firsthand before. So there is definitely some skill level that your embryologist must have to be able to do the biopsy well. Later, we'll get into the disadvantages of a day three biopsy versus a day five biopsy. For example, day three biopsies have one cell. You have nothing to compare to. So as we talked about earlier, when you have amplification of one cell, if something's missing, you don't know the information. But if you have five cells and they can concur with each other, 
your validation's better because you say, okay, all five cells said the exact same thing. And we're going to get into some of the arguments about this as well later on. So we've talked about what PGS was. We talked about how it became CCS to distinguish it from PGS. So did it ever become PGD? Well, no. PGD is different. PGD is pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. That's a little bit different. That is actually looking for a specific problem. Now, remember, everything else we were doing before is trying to improve pregnancy rates, right? We're screening the embryo for chromosomal issues, extra chromosomes, missing chromosomes. Pre-implantation genetic diagnosis is looking for a problem that you already know is there. And when we get into this, it's actually really interesting because when you're trying to find something, you can't just say it's not there because you don't find it. You have to also find the DNA that should be around that gene and make sure that is gone too, which is pretty neat. And we'll get into that. But really, one of the biggest things that started happening was is people were getting confused. You had some doctors calling it CCS. You had other doctors still calling it PGS. Other doctors said you shouldn't call it PGS because ASRM is against that. But everyone says, well, yeah, that was old technology. So what do we all call it? And so a bunch of people who apparently are very smart decided we should change it now to PGT, pre-implantation genetic testing. Now, that is broken into three parts, PGT-A, PGT-M, and PGT-SR. Now, what do each of these mean? We'll start with PGT-M because we just got done talking about pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. PGTM is PGD. This is just a new term. It's when you're looking at single gene disorders. That's where the M comes from, monogenic. So PGTM is for when you have a disease, let's say like polycystic kidney disease, cystic fibrosis that you want to prevent your child from having. You would then make a probe, find that gene, and not put back those embryos using PGTM. Dash M. PGTA is what PGS and CCS were. They're all still the same thing. We can call them the same thing. But in the end, the new term is PGTA. And I use them back and forth because not everyone knows the new uh, jargon. Now, PGTA stands for aneuploid. You're looking for abnormal embryos. Now, the last one is called PGT-SR. PGT-SR stands for pre-implantation genetic testing-structural rearrangements. Now, I'm not sure if you listened to my last podcast, but I believe I was talking about translocations. Translocations are when a part of your chromosomes are in the wrong spot. And these are broken into what's called balance versus unbalanced translocations. Now, I can get into really complicated ways to explain this, but the easiest way I think to think of translocations is that a book represents your DNA. And if you think about it, we all have kind of like the same book, right? We all say we have two eyes, one nose, some of noses are a little bigger like mine, but the point is we all have the same structural features, right? So, the books are kind of the same. They say kind of the same story. You know, some people are a little funnier. They got a funnier story. Some people are a little bit, you know, sad. Wow. Don't need to be that sad. But the point is, we all have the same book. Now, 
if you went and you took that book and you took chapter 12 out of that book and you put it all the way between chapter two and three and someone was reading that book, they would get to the end of chapter two before chapter three and go, what is going on with the story? This is a crazy story because they can't understand the story. They, they don't understand what's happening in chapter 11. That's crazy talk, right? That, that's stuff that hasn't even happened yet. But when they finally get now to chapter 10 and they read chapter, the end of chapter 10 and they go into chapter 12, they're going to be like, wait a second, they have an epiphany. I just realized all that information that I read way in the beginning is the information that should be here. And you can read the whole story. We call that a balanced translocation. You have all the DNA. It just happens to be in the wrong place once in a while. Okay. But an unbalanced translocation would be when you go to have a child. In that situation, you take half your book, you give it to your partner, they take half their book and they put it together. So you give the back half of your book that is missing chapter 12, your baby will be missing chapter 12 because the front half of your partner's book will be complete without another 12 in there. And so they'll be missing chapter 12. If your baby gets the front half of your book, they're going to get an extra chapter 12 because you got chapter 12 between your two and three, remember? And the back half of your book from your partner is not going to have that um, 12 missing. So you're going to have two chapter 12s. And that's a confusing story. So PGT-SR is looking for these type of problems. Now, there's other forms of this. There's translocations, inversions. There are other rearrangement disorders, but the point is it looks for these type of issues. Okay, so now you have all the information, right? Now now you can understand what that doctor from New York is talking about, how you're throwing away all your abnormal embryos, right? No. We just talked about the definitions. We still have a lot more to go. So let's talk about next, the biopsy. When do you biopsy? How have things changed from the past? Well, there are multiple times you can biopsy. You can biopsy what's called the polar bodies. So every egg has what's called a polar body. And that polar body is from the division of the cells. So let's talk first about sperm. So you have something to compare it to. So we've talked about in the past the difference between my meiosis and mitosis. Mitosis is the division of normal cells. So what happens is you duplicate the DNA and you split the two. Okay. Meiosis is when you are trying to make DNA for gametes to have kids. So the cells have to not only duplicate, but they also have to separate half the DNA and then they duplicate that to make extra sperm. So if you start with one sperm, which is XY, the DNA will split in half to have an X and a Y, and that will split again, and you have then two X's, two Y's, and that's why every starting sperm cell becomes at least two X's and two Y's. Now, what's important about this is in meiosis in men, you end up with double the material and then split the material, so four sperms per original cell, but not with eggs. No, 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 no. Eggs are very selfish. They don't want to make another one. They want to get big, and they want to get really big. And so 
that first division not only separates the DNA like we talked about, just like in men, but now instead of dividing equally the cytoplasm and all the organelles, instead it makes this really tiny, tiny cell and all that in it is half the DNA. And that goes to the outside of the cell called a polar body and the first cell gets bigger. Now, that is what we call meiosis one. So in women, every single egg is stuck in what we call the, f- the first stage of meiosis one in the prophase stage. And so it's stuck there until the day it ovulates. Now, when it ovulates, it undergoes a second portion of meiosis and where it actually then divides again. But this time, instead of dividing in half, again, the one cell gets bigger and it puts out a second polar body. And that happens also with fertilization. But the point is, what I want to make sure you understand is this cell is just getting bigger. So women start with one cell and then it keeps dividing, but unevenly making this very, very large egg, largest cell in your body. And that egg has these things called polar bodies. Now, the first polar body is there to fertilize. After you fertilize, you get the second polar body. Now, why this is important is you can biopsy those polar bodies. But the problem is that's only half the information, right? So if you're biopsying a polar body, you're only going to find out the issues with half the DNA because you haven't made the embryo yet, right? There can be problems in, in the men. So this would be great if, let's say, for example, you were looking for a disorder X-linked in the mom, you could check the polar body and see if it's there or not. Now, this is kind of challenging because the concept is the opposite of testing for abnormal embryos. So when you find an abnormal cell in an embryo, we call it abnormal. We wouldn't want to put that embryo back. But in a polar biopsy, the biopsy is what the cell is getting rid of. So in this situation, if the biopsy was normal, that would be bad because that means then the actual embryo has the disease. So we actually want to find an abnormal polar body, which means that the embryo must have got the good genes, if that makes sense. So why would anyone use a polar body versus doing biopsies on day three or day five? Well, in some countries, it's actually against the law to biopsy embryos. And to get around this, they can biopsy the eggs. So that means that everyone's doing day three biopsies, right? Well, not really. Very few people do biopsies on day three. Now, one of the first reasons, as we talked about earlier, was that it hurts their embryos. And if it hurts the embryo, you don't want to do it. But the other thing is, you're only able to get one, maybe two cells at the most. And that leads to less information you're starting with. Because again, we have to amplify that DNA from that cell. But a day five biopsy is not only not harmful in the embryo, as long as you know what you're doing, but it allows us to have multiple cells, meaning we get multiple DNA from multiple cells. And then we can see if those things concur. And if they do, we can feel more confident 
in the result. Now keep in mind, day five biopsies is not the reason we now know about mosaic embryos. Day five biopsies allow us to have multiple cells to look for mosaicism, whereas if you take one cell, you can't find mosaicism because you only have one cell. You can't compare it to anything else. So pretty much everyone now does day five biopsies. Are there some people who do day three? There are, but in reality, those probably aren't good programs. But day five biopsies, depending on what type of analysis you do, would change the benefit of the day five biopsy. So a day five biopsy, as I mentioned, can see mosaicism. Now let's define mosaicism. Mosaic embryos are saying that there are post-fertilization mitotic errors. So these are going to be things that after it was fertilized, the cell was dividing and something went wrong and it leads to then distinct cell populations with both normal euploid and abnormal aneuploid chromosomal issues. Now, again, if you were only looking at a single cell, it's going to be hard to know if there's multiple cell lines there because you only have one cell. Of course, they're all going to be the same. It's the same cell divided over and over and over and amplified. But on the day five biopsy, now we have four, five, eight cells. And now we can look at the DNA of all those and we can see if they're saying the same thing. So in reality, a biopsy isn't just about normal and abnormal, but it's really normal, abnormal, and mosaic. But keep in mind, you can't just have a day five biopsy to be able to find mosaic embryos. You have to also have a analysis method that will allow us to see the mosaicism. So for example, doing a day five biopsy with fish would be using a newer technique for biopsy, but an old technology for analysis. And you would end up with probably poor pregnancy rates because again, we've shown fish is not as good. Now, if you're using CGH or SNP array or another one called quantitative PCR, then you may find abnormal and normal embryos, but you're actually not going to find mosaicism because those tests don't look for that. But next-gen sequencing does. And so that's why most of the industry has moved on to next-gen sequencing. Now, we can get into later about the benefits of each one, and it's not perfect in any way. It can still miss certain types of chromosomal issues. But it's allowed us now to know that it's no longer just normal or abnormal. With CGH and SNP and QPCR, you're going to have normal and abnormal, which means that mosaic embryos were diagnosed as normal and transferred or as abnormal and not transferred. But in reality, they weren't just normal and abnormal. There was mosaic and we didn't know it. These are the embryos that people talk about that they put back their abnormal and bring on live births. So where did this even come from? Why did someone start thinking about mosaic embryos? Well, we know that 1% to 2% of all placentas biopsied 
with a process called chorionic villus sampling, has shown mosaic cell lines. So this is very common. And that is the reason why sometimes amniocentesis is preferred over CVS, which is the chorionic villus sampling, because it doesn't have the issue with mosaicism. So today, with the current technology, we use day five biopsy. We use usually laser to help with the biopsy. We use next-gen sequencing. And most clinics now will transfer normals and mosaics, but do not transfer abnormals. Now, in the next episode, we're going to talk about the question of transferring those abnormal. We're going to get more into depth about where PGS has changed and how now PGTA has cleared up some of the questions about abnormal embryos that are actually normal. But the most important thing to get from this episode is understanding these different subjects. Why did it go from PGS to CCS to BGTA? How do we biopsy and why do we biopsy the way we do now? And how does that benefit us? What are the different ways to analyze the data? And what errors those can have? Hopefully I didn't bore you this week with all the jargon and technical data, but I need you to know this to be able to talk about what we're going to talk about next week, which is the question I get asked more than anything. Am I throwing away abnormal embryos that are really normal? And that's a really tough decision because if that's all you have is abnormal embryos, then it's worth putting them back because you're worried what there's a normal one in there. But when I get done presenting the data and I, I present the situation we're in now versus what they were looking at in the past, you have a better understanding that the embryos we have now, if they're using the right technique and the right analysis, really are abnormal. And that you are looking for a very small error in the test that's extremely small. And we're going to talk about the situations and we're actually going to talk about actual cases and what to do in those certain cases. As always, I greatly appreciate everyone who's listening. As I always ask, please uh, review us if you love us. Um, that gets us known by more people. That lets us go up in the charts and then more people are going to hear about this. And we're going to get through to more people and people can learn more about their fertility and be advocates for themselves. I wish you all happy Thanksgiving. And until next week, this is Taco Bell Fertility Tuesdays.